You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I'm your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 60. In this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Sean Ellis, who has authored and co-authored more than two dozen action-adventure novels, including the Nick Kismet Adventures, the Jack Sigler Chess Team Series with Jeremy Robinson, and the J.D. Howard Adventures with David Wood. Sean served in the Army National Guard in Afghanistan, and he is a member of the International Thriller Writers Organization, and he currently resides in Arizona. Topics covered during this interview include uh, Sean's writing process. The man's uh, very busy with a lot of projects going on at one time, so it's uh, great to talk to him about how he keeps all that organized. Uh, we also talk about ghostwriting. Uh, Sean has done uh, uh, ghostwriting, so we talk a little bit about that, as well as uh, co-authoring, since he uh, has several books published uh, with uh, multiple uh, other authors. And he also provides some great advice uh, for aspiring writers. And of course, we talk about his novels and his uh, influences. So stay tuned for episode number 60. Hey, everybody, this is uh, Alan Peterson with Meet the Thriller Author. And for the, this episode, I'm talking with uh, Sean Ellis. Sean, how are you doing this morning? Doing good, Alan. Thanks. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? I guess I'm one of those people who always wanted to be a writer. As far back as I can remember, I was trying to write stories and always motivated by that idea of write the stories I want to read. Grant Blackwood calls a sock drawer novel. Uh, I did that probably when I was about 18, and I don't even know where it is. I lost that sock drawer a long time ago, but I always wanted to write stories. Fantasy originally, and science fiction really I, I was interested in a lot. But then when I saw The Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was like I loved the action-adventure genre. And uh, after that, I started looking for books in that genre and came across Clive Cussler. And so I've been driving towards that. Uh, that's been my ambition ever since. So how do you describe your books for those who haven't read any of your uh, previous novels? Well, people ask me that. I usually say, uh, have you ever heard of Clive Cussler or James Rollins? And they say no, usually, because we live in this non-literate society. Uh, but uh, if they don't know who that is, then I say, well, it's like Indiana Jones. And uh, and that's pretty much what I'm going for. I like that blend of lots of action with a little bit of supernatural or woo-woo to kind of uh, kind of drive the plot along and make it a little more exciting. Yeah, right. we must be really be living in a bubble if people don't know who uh, Claire Kessler is. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's surprising. So many people I, I meet, uh, they just aren't readers. Yeah. And... And, you know, you hear it a lot. I haven't read a book since college or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, you're missing out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Tell us a little bit about your about your series. Right. So I've got three series that I sort of uh, I launched myself with. The, the first one, the, the character's name is, is Nick Kismet. And uh, he's a contemporary hero who ends up in that Indiana Jones role. He goes looking for strange artifacts and uh, he's part of a kind of a, a shadow war between um, that's going on with this secret organization called Prometheus. Prometheus wants to hide away all these relics. They're kind of like the people in, uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark who have the, the warehouse with all the treasures in it. Uh, they want to take these things and hide them away because they don't think humans are ready for them. Uh, and so he's this guy who goes out in, in these dangerous situations and at the end, finds the, the MacGuffin, uh, to borrow the term from uh, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, whatever it is. 
in uh, the book Into the Black, which was the second Nick Kismet story, the MacGuffin is the Golden Fleece of Jason and the Argonauts. And uh, so that story takes place in the Black Sea region. And uh, so, but pretty much imagine Indiana Jones brought forward. He's not an archaeologist. I was, uh, I kind of wanted to get away from that. So I have him employed by a fictional UN agency that's kind of a branch of, of UNESCO, the uh, United Nations uh, Scientific and Cultural Organization. And so he goes around to try to make sure that archaeologists and so forth are uh, conforming to the law and not stealing heritage goods and, and treasures. Uh, that's kind of just the to facilitate his, his involvement in the story. I needed to him have a job to be something other than an archaeologist, because uh, I feel like that's been done to death. Uh, so that's the Nick Kismet stories, and there's three of them, uh, three novels and a uh, kind of a novella. Then uh, the second one I developed was uh, kind of inspired by the Doc Savage pulp novels oh, yeah, uh, from I love the those. 1930s. Uh, and it's the, the, uh, the original title of the story was Falcon's Flight. And uh, that's because in, in the story, there's this Doc Savage type character named Captain Falcon who has gone missing. And my hero, my protagonist, Dodge Dalton, who's a, a newspaper writer, goes looking for him and ends up kind of, uh, there's a passing of the torch. And uh, I wasn't really satisfied with Falcon's Flight as a title, but I couldn't think of anything else. And this was back, I think, 2007. About that time, uh, there was the incident with the Balloon Boy. I don't remember that. <laughs> His name was Falcon. And I was like, okay, I cannot use Falcon's <laughs> Flight because people are going to think it's Balloon Boy. So I came up with the... Uh, the rather elaborate title, The Adventures of Dodge Dalton, that's the hero, uh, In the Shadow of Falcon's Wings. And I loved it because I loved those big titles like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. But I think readers kind of found it a bit confusing. So we shortened the title uh, with the re-release to just In the Shadow of Falcon's Wings. But uh, there's four books in that series. They're set in the, the 1930s, uh, what I call the Golden Age of Adventure. And they're very much sort of a retro sci-fi adventure stories, uh, a little bit over the top. But uh, I love the story, but it just hasn't really caught on with readers. And then my uh, my third series, which I um, now work on the, uh, the third and probably the concluding book in a trilogy, uh, is sort of my, my take on the Tomb Raider uh, mythos with, uh, it's called the Dark Trinity or the Mira Raiden Adventures. Um, it's about a, uh, a young woman who is, uh, she's precognitive. She kind of can sense danger when it's about to happen. And she, uh, when the story starts, she's just um, lost her job with the CIA because she just wasn't good agent material, uh, wasn't a good field officer. And, but she does have these abilities, and she ends up getting draw, drawn into a treasure hunt, and that treasure hunt launches um, a big epic, uh, more treasure hunts, lost cities and monsters and Yeti and so forth. Uh, and that's uh, a series that, uh, like I say, I, I wanted to, to write a trilogy, uh, and I kind of got sidetracked from it by a lot of uh, co-authoring, which I, I think we'll probably talk about in a bit here, but... Um, I'm going to get back to that one and at least finish that story off soon. But it's it's sort of like I say, it's Tomb Raider. It's got the uh, the, the heroine instead of a, the male hero, uh, and she's uh, she's got I think of it like Spidey sense. Basically, she can kind of sense danger when it's about to happen, and that helps her survive some of these situations. 
And is that one set in the contemporary times? Or? Yes, yes, yeah. that is also contemporary. Yeah. I, I think I learned my lesson with those pulp novels that, uh, you know, people really want kind of the relatability of a contemporary uh, setting. And I, I think I prefer writing in it, too. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's requires less research. Yeah, I was reading in your bio, you've, uh, you've written more than two dozen action-adventure novels. That's, uh, that's amazing. Huh? <laughs> when did you publish your first, uh, your first novel? That would have been 2005. I used, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this. In fact, I won't name names, or you can edit this out if you want. I will name names then. Uh, I used Publish America to go with uh, my first novel. Uh, that I, Well, it wasn't the first novel I wrote, but the first one I, I uh, tried that self-publishing option, and that was Magic Mirror, and uh, that was in 2005. I actually had written the Nick Kismet novels before that, and had an agent, and we were looking for publishers, and we just didn't find success with it. And I wrote Magic Mirror, which is a, a standalone title. I wanted to make a series out of it, but uh, my agent really didn't care for it. He just wasn't enthusiastic about it at all. This, is, this book is languishing. I just want people to read it. And so I, I went with Publish America, and I, I think I maybe sold three copies. <laughs> but, you know, it was a story that I liked, mm-hmm. and... Uh, so when my contract was up there, we uh, I took it to a, a newer, a, another uh, press that I work with a lot, which is uh, Griffinwood, uh, and then they branched out into Adrenaline Press. Uh, I'm good friends with the publisher, David Wood, who I've also um, written quite a few uh, co-authored novels with. And so uh, 2005, that would have been when um, when we got that one published. And then within a year or two of that, I, w- I found a publisher for the, one of the Nick Kismet novels, uh, the first one, Shroud of Heaven, uh, with, um, and, and this is, I'm always unsure of how to pronounce this word because uh, it, Samhain or Salon, which is a was a romance publishing company, uh, which I believe they've recently closed up shop, mm-hmm. but uh, they were publishing other genres at the time, and so I got a contract with them in 2006, and uh, of course that took a, about a year for it to hit publication, but that was kind of I guess that maybe marks my first book that got some wide release. And so now you're like, you, you, are you publishing um, on your own and then also with uh, publishers? You're kind of like, what is it, hy- hybrid? Uh, I think that's the new term yeah. for it. <laughs> I keep hearing it, so um, I'm like, oh, right. hybrid. <laughs> so I think um, I don't consider myself self-published because I never was comfortable with the parts of the of the uh, the publishing that you know the, the editing, the cover design, the distribution. Uh, I never felt like I wanted to tackle those mm-hmm. things, and so I was always looking for small press. And I sort of fell into it. Uh, I, you know, I I tried uh, the conventional route with an agent, and uh, I was represented by an agent for several years, and it just sort of never took off. Uh, and I got really frustrated, and I started looking for small press options. Uh, still not wanting to to try my hand at self-publishing, and this was back even in the early days of of Lulu <laughs> and uh, and Amazon just kind of starting to open up Kindle publishing. Um, so I made connections with uh, people like David, and David had already had been very successful about uh, with his own books. In fact, David and I have been friends since uh, uh, the early two thousands uh, because we both sort of uh, we hung out in the same uh, internet groups, uh, chat groups and so forth. And so we knew each other 
and he just he made a real he he made all the right moves and uh, found success with with indie publishing. Uh, launched his own publishing house, and I eventually convinced him to let me uh, or to, to publish my books, and, and I'd give him most of the money, <laughs> and and it worked out. And then, uh, but even at that, I mean, the real success for me came with with teaming up with other authors, and uh, and that's what happened pretty much after right about the time the first of those Nick Kismet books came out is that I started networking and. Uh, have I strayed from the question? What was the question? No, 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 that's good. No. Hybrid author. That <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yes. no, no, that's good. Hybrid, yeah. yeah and so mm-hmm. I'm still, uh, my goal is still to find uh, that mainstream success. I mean, I'm, uh, I'd say I've kind of gotten a little bit sidetracked by a lot of the collaboration I've done because uh, most of those books are already, I already know how they're going to get published. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's with Jeremy Robinson or David Wood, I know where they're, where that publishing is going to happen. So I'm not looking and so forth. But as I'm trying now to take control of my career and get back into writing my own novels, uh, that's something I'm definitely going to strive for. I'm going to try to find an agent to represent me. I'm going to find, you know, and the pitch and everything to try to go that mainstream. Cause yeah, I want to be a hybrid author. I want to have success across all these platforms. Um, I, I guess I'll, think of the uh, independent publishing as the fallback uh, because I want these stories to be read and I've got enough of an audience that I, I would still get some good distribution, but I think there's a real, um, what's that word? It's just a cachet. There's that bragging rights, you know, when, when you tell somebody you're an author and they're like, Oh, well, have I seen your book in bookstores? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> you can order it from bookstores, but you know, I, I want to be, you know, I want to have that book, and even in the supermarkets, mm-hmm. you know, where they got only have the bestsellers list. That's always the dream. So now, with the with a co-author, that's so interesting to me. So, can you explain a little bit about that process? So, you said you you already knew Dave Wood, David Wood, from before you started to collaborate with him. Co-authoring really started working with uh, Jeremy Robinson rather than with David. We uh, he uh, Jeremy, somebody I reached out to because of the similarity in our our uh, in the genre. He was writing the Jack Ziegler chess team novels. Uh, which are about a team of uh, Delta Force commandos who end up fighting monsters and and uh, thwarting uh, scientists and bad guys with plots to wreck the world. And because of uh, he he tends to favor a little more of the science fiction and monster elements, but it was similar enough that I reached out to him for uh, for a blurb for for one of my early books, and that led to uh, a friendship and. Uh, eventually to a partnership where he wanted to develop some novellas based on the characters in those stories. And so he gave me a chance. And once, uh, once I got my teeth into it, I really just started coming up with other ideas. And so one, uh, novella led to three. And then I uh, convinced him to let me, uh, team up with him for a couple more of the chess team uh, novels. And so we, uh, we wrote the origin story for the, the chess team, uh, which was called prime. And then um, after that, a, a couple more in the series. We also did a standalone, which I'm really proud of. It's called Flood Rising. Uh, it's sort of a young adult uh, story in that there has a young protagonist. Uh, uh, it's been so long now. I think she's a, a 15-year-old girl, but she's got some special abilities, which uh, manifest in the course of the story. 
and uh, it was just a real awesome action thriller, which didn't quite reach the audience we hoped for. And uh, then uh, we've also uh, developed some other a spinoff series from the chess team uh, called the, it, it's about uh, a, a group of scientists sort of along the lines of uh, James Rollins' Sigma Force, where the scientists are the heroes. And that's uh, two books so far into that. But um, to answer your question about the process, uh, you know, I came to it simply by, you know, trying to network. And I always had kind of, uh, I'd looked at people like Graham Brown, a friend of mine who writes with Clive Cussler and uh, some others who, uh, Jack DeBrule, uh, and, and also writes for, with, with or wrote with Clive Cussler. And I thought that maybe that was a pathway to success, to getting greater audience, is to team up with another author and um i'm not sure that's a, a sound strategy i've talked to these authors uh, i believe uh, you you mentioned er, uh, before the show that uh you interviewed russell blake mm-hmm. and uh i know russell um i think he was a bit disappointed by the fact that it didn't necessarily translate to greater awareness of his solo books yep and i i can remember um about uh Geez, it's been five or six years ago uh, when I wasn't working, writing full time. I uh, I was working at Barnes and Noble in Anchorage, Alaska, and uh, people would come in looking for these, you know, Clive Cussler novels, and I would be like, um, "This, you know, you like these Oregon Files books? Have you read the Jack DeBrule solo works?" And they seemed completely unaware of who Jack DeBrule was. <laughs> and it's like that's his name. Actually, you know, he's the one who actually wrote this book, and and. You know, kind of with Clive Clive Hustler's guidance, but you know, the, and they're just they're unaware of of those people, and I think that's still true today. Uh, and it's unfortunate because there's a lot of really talented authors who are uh, they're in, in the small print underneath the uh, the big name. And I don't want to give away any dirty secrets to the publishing industry, but <laughs> I, it's funny when you see reviews uh, for people like James Patterson or even Clive Hustler, and you'll see reviewers say things like i don't think they even wrote this book it's like uh but anyway you know i'm sure it's different for every for every author Mm -hmm. the the ones i've worked with you know they maintain um control of of the process um and i'm pretty good at at uh at at, at aping the style of, of the authors i work with i think uh and so it's usually a pretty uh process and uh and so yeah working with jeremy uh then uh, that led to working with david in collaborative because he decided uh so david writes um a series of indiana jones dirk pitt style adventures uh featuring a hero named dane maddock and uh they've been very successful um for him enabled him to uh write full-time and uh, in, uh, I want to say it's been three or four years ago, he decided to do a collaborative um, origin series for his characters. So uh, the heroes of his story, uh, Dane Maddock and his sidekick Bones Bonebreak, are former Navy SEALs turned treasure hunters. Uh, so he decided he wanted to write um, an origin series about these two characters and their adventures uh, before they became treasure hunters in the seals. And uh, when he decided he wanted to do that, he, he opened it up to some other authors. And uh, I said, sure, I'll do it. And it 
really turned into one of it, probably that book that I wrote with him in the origin series. It was called Hellship. Uh, is was the first book I ever wrote to sell more than ten thousand copies, mm. and uh, it kind of made me realize that you know if I want to write for a living, I need to do things like this more often. And that led to me teaming up both with, uh, of course, continuing the, the collaborations with Jeremy and, of course, with David. And David and I have since uh, spun off a couple series from his Dane Matic books. Uh, one of them is the Jade Ihara series. Uh, Jade Ihara is a, well, she's a Tomb Raider. Um, she's a half Hawaiian, half Japanese archaeologist who was Dane Matic's girlfriend in one of the early novels. And... Uh, now she's his ex-girlfriend, and she's her goal with with her series is to make her a little more vulnerable than say the the, the Tomb Raider. She's not always guns blazing. She's not even always very likable. At, at first, a lot of people thought she was bitchy, and uh, so I've tried to kind of you know present that in an authentic way as much as possible, and, and yet making her with each book she comes into her own a little bit more and we just released the third book in that series uh last uh, last month then the other one uh we spun off from his uh, dynamatic universe uh are the myrmidons the, the myrmidons are a cia task force who uh it's more of a team approach. and my goal with that was to kind of get more into historical mysteries a little more in the steve berry vein uh and so they save the day Doing that has kept me busy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and also kept me kept me uh, with a roof overhead. Yeah, and how does that work with so many different projects? Do you like work one project at a time, or are you writing in, in a couple different worlds at the same time? Process has evolved for me. Generally, tend to be kind of singular in my focus. Like uh, I can only think about one story at a time. Um, earlier this year, I as an experiment, I tried. Uh, I tried to set a goal for writing uh, about 30 minutes in uh, in a different project just to get me started. And I found that I was able to develop, you know, a, a, get a, a good four to 600 words out. In, uh, and then, uh, and want to write more, whereas then I would stop from that project and I'd go to the main project I was working on and I might spend, you know, hours trying to get um, 2,000 words. And so I, I think I'm going to start uh, doing that more often, working on simultaneous projects, one being sort of a warm-up just to get a few words on, on the screen, and then the other one that I'll actually focus on and sort of set a deadline for myself. But it's always evolving. I'm trying new things. And do you um, uh, do you outline these, uh, uh, these stories pretty comprehensively or is it, are you kind of like uh, just start typing the story I'm an outliner but not as extensive as some I've heard about uh, I've heard about some of these authors who write you know outlines that are almost as long as the novel mm-hmm. uh, I generally start with um, page uh, outline it's it's a chapter by chapter outline I'm not completely tied to it and, and it does you know I, there's lots of room for variation and, and things change um but what i'll do my process is that i'll write that outline and uh and then i'll start writing the novel above the outline in the same document and so i keep all my notes and everything in that one document and then as i finish a chapter i'll delete that uh from the uh, the outline 
and that's been working for me. I, uh, I started doing that uh, last year, and uh, I think that's that's my my new go-to technique. And you use that word? Yes, <laughs> I've I've tried Scrivener, uh, and when I was a cheapskate, I I think I wrote a couple books in uh, in works, and uh, even used the uh, I had the free uh, edition of. Um, oh, what's it called? Open source. Oh, open office. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but uh, I, just the functionality of Word and the fact that so many uh, you know publishers, it's the easiest thing for them to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there's that, and uh, I uh, I experimented a little with Google Docs just for the the sharing, and I still came back to Word. Yeah. So I think I'm definitely uh, I'm there for, with Word. And now we talked a little bit before I hit the, the record button about um, you've also done some ghost writing. Maybe you could explain a little difference between that and you know the co-authoring um, and tell us a little bit about that process because it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, functionally it's not that much different uh, except that uh, I know my name's not going to be on the book. And you know, with each co-author there are differences too. In, in the I, I actually last year I I ghost wrote three different stories, and of course I can't names because i'm sworn to secrecy and uh, we, we joked about the whole uh, i could tell you but then i'd have to kill you but i can't really go go after your audience and that would uh but for the most part it's the same process as co-authoring uh there's a lot of feedback in the early stages of uh creating the uh creating this the outline and of course the outline gets reviewed by the um the, i'll tell you this the contract that i i signed for uh, one of these, it differentiated the author and the writer. So the author was the name that's on the book, and I am the writer. And so that's helpful to think about in terms of that. That's how this ghostwriting thing works. The author is the person whose name is on the book. And most of these, I think, uh, books you see written by celebrities, uh, they're the author, but there's a writer. And that's the ghostwriter. That's the person who actually you know, strung the words together. And there's a lot of going to be a lot of uh, back and forth to make sure it, it, it's right. And, and you know the the author will have final say on on the product that's written. And uh, in this instance, um, in in the instance of one of them, I was given uh, a very brief. I, I was given a suggestion, uh, like a, a bullet point, if you will. It was like, hey. I think the story should involve this element that, you know, the bad guy should be this person. Uh, and maybe he wants to do this bad thing. And, uh, what do you think of that? And I'm like, okay, that's not really a lot to go with, but, uh, I'll, I'll see what I can come up with. And, uh, as it turned out that this, this, this one book, uh, which, uh, the deadline for it was, um, September of last year. And uh, the, the publishing date would, would be about a year later. So it was going to be uh, this year. And in fact, uh, it was published in September. The challenge of this book was that it involved uh, a plot to assassinate the president, which, you know, that's fine and good, except in um, the summer of 2016, or uh, yeah, 2016, looking forward, it's like whoever gets elected president, and when this book comes out, going to be this new president and it's going to be historic no matter how that election goes how do we bring that into the story uh instead of just having this 
cardboard cutout president that's just which is usually what you see in a lot of, of uh, thriller novels mm. uh, how do we make how do we address the realities of what's going on and so when when uh, when they when I was given this sort of the, the very bare bones of the plot I was like well how do we acknowledge that and I came up with an idea and I said what if we did this and uh, they said uh, go for it and so I did um, but you know it works you, you you have the back and forth there's always a lot of communication and uh and so it's it's a rewarding experience i mean not as rewarding as having your name on the cover of the book but um it, it's still it's it, you know you're writing for a living that's what that's what i wanted to do and uh you know if i don't get that one little thing that's okay as long as it, it means there's more work down the road and do they uh, do they say like um, I want it to be you know uh, eighty thousand words or right the, the contract stipulates uh, minimum length mm-hmm. minimum and maximum lengths usually um, and of course that's going to change depending on every each instance mm-hmm. is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's incredible. That's a incredible discipline, though. I mean, that's, that must be what it feels like to work for like a like a TV show or something. You know, we have to like get in the writer's room and get everyone's notes and then go off and write a story. <laughs> you know, I've, I've heard, uh, I listened to Steve Barry talking about, uh, at, a, at an event and he was talking about the, uh, back and forth with his editor. And it made me realize that, um, that's kind of how it works for the mainstream authors. They're not writing in a bubble. They, uh, they run ideas past their editor and you know, there's, there's a lot of feedback from the editor on that. So I don't think, I don't think it's that unusual. And how many, um, do you write every day? Well, that's the goal. Yeah. So even if you don't have a project going or if you're like a revision, you still try to write, get a, get some words in? What's this you speak of not having a project? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got, I've got my calendar. Uh, I've got a, a little, uh, little a whiteboard um, on the wall behind my computer that has my projects. And it's about eight things on it right now. So there's, there's never <laughs> a question of what to do. Uh, I, I think I'm my ideal work week would be to write during the daylight hours, uh, like a, a nine to five type thing, and then have the weekends off for family stuff. Um, but I think you know you probably would agree, uh, even when you're not writing, you're still working because you're 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 running ideas through your head. You're you're coming up with uh, solutions to the the corner you painted yourself into, and uh, so you're never not working. Uh, as far as writing every day, I, yeah, I, I'm not keeping very good to the weekend thing, uh, but I generally try to, to get some some writing done every day. Now that's really cool. We, we talked a little bit before uh, uh, we we're, when we we're getting uh, the date schedule for the interview, and you mentioned that you were in the uh, Army National Guard, which I was also in the Army National Guard, but you went in your in your 30s, <laughs> and I was like, wow, I was 19 and I struggled at, at a boot camp. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about that and what led you to joining the uh, the National Guard in your 30s. There's lots of reasons why, and I think that's true for everybody that, you know, you make that decision. Yeah, you want money for school. Yeah, you want some adventure. Um, and for me, um, I had already written a couple books, and, and my books were in the, this thriller genre, and lots of heroes have military backgrounds. And I'm like, I really kind of want to know what that's like. So that was a part of it, too. Uh, uh, money for school was part of it. I, I for for whatever reason, uh, I kind of got a late start uh, in in things like that. I realized that uh, you know as I was in my 30s that I was doing these 
these horrible jobs that weren't really getting me anywhere. It's like I really should have gone to college. Uh, and I had reasons for not going to college at, when I was young. And those were really stupid reasons. I, I wish I'd done that. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's not too late. So, um, you know, I kind of had all these reasons why that sounded like a good idea. And, uh, and so I went for it. And, uh, you know, very quickly it was like, I've made a horrible mistake, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, um, you know, in terms of getting through uh, basic training in your thirties, it's actually not as hard as you think, because a lot of it is about, uh, mental discipline. And, uh, and you know, when you're young, you don't have that. And so you, you kind of get overwhelmed and shock or you, you know, have some bad habits you haven't quite gotten rid mm-hmm. of. I didn't have those, you know, yeah, it was, it was grueling. Uh, the worst part of it is, you know, family separation. Uh, and that's why it's easier for the young men, I think, who don't have uh, children. I had two sons and, uh, you know, leaving the family behind to go through that for, you know, through several months. And then, of course, deployments. That was also part of the being in the guard and in the, uh, in the years since 9-11. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you served in, so, in Afghanistan, right? Yeah, I uh, did a year in Afghanistan. Uh, using it in your books, then later on, years later, is that did you find find that helpful from a writing perspective? I'd say it, it adds to the sense of uh, authenticity mm-hmm. uh, when you deal with those subjects. I mean, I read lots of books uh, by authors who uh, don't have any military experience, and there's just a you can kind of tell. I, there's, I can remember there's uh, little things like, you know, you'll be reading and, and uh, people are saluting. And this is, uh, you know, some, some very bestseller authors. They'll write you know, characters and salutes uh, indoors <laughs> and so forth. And I'm like, yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> and so things like that. And, and also kind of how the, the military operates. I mean, one of the things that's always kind of troubled me, and I was even talking to a friend about this earlier, is uh, how... Everywhere you turn, in, in in movies, in thriller novels, uh, it's always like every hero has to be a former Navy SEAL yeah. or former Special Forces. And I'm like, you know, if you're inside the military, you realize that the training that the Special Forces get and and the training that the average infantry grunt gets is the same training. The difference is the level of intensity. That's just, uh, you know, it would be completely plausible to have a hero who, uh, for example, Nick Kismet, my, one of my series, is, uh, I decided to make him former Army intelligence. And, you know, my reasons for that, and he, he was actually, uh, his origin story was that he was going through, uh, you know, ROTC to pay for college in the first Iraq war, because I wrote this back right as, I, I, I wrote it in 2003. So right as the Iraq, the current Iraq war, or I guess the last Iraq war, was just heating up. Um, but his origin then flipped back 10 years earlier to the first Gulf War. And he was uh, in an ROTC program. He, uh, gift of languages and uh, in Army Intel, and then gets called up to the war. And there's a mission that goes badly. And, and so that was his origin. And to me, that was more compelling than if he had been a green beret, you know, deadly trained killer. And, and I think, uh, that's what I kind of liked to bring into, uh, 
stories going forward is that sort of a hero who's a little more accessible that isn't always former this or that former special forces and uh you know the the training that the average soldier marine whatever receives is enough to equip them to be a good action hero yeah that's a good point everyone starts with the same basic training really then then you branch off to whatever <laughs> whatever your occupation is um so what uh what are you working on now so you said you're you're going back to your to your uh your solo stuff is that what do you have planned for the next uh, year or so <laughs> you got you got any projects on Let's that board see. yeah um so uh top of my list is to write the third uh third and final book in my trilogy with the mirror raiden that's the uh my tomb raider um and i haven't quite I, i've started outlining that one uh, oh doing a thing that uh, so uh david wood's uh, dane matic stories uh he got asked to do kindle worlds i don't know if you know about kindle worlds uh but kindle worlds is if i understand it correctly is sort of like a chance to write fan fiction and get paid to do it uh there's quite a few authors and a few um media titles that have been opened up to people can write a story publish it on amazon through this kindle worlds and earn money from it so the the characters and worlds are licensed to amazon to develop in this way and uh they asked uh david to take part in this and to develop some stories and he's like well hey do you want to do this and so uh, i developed uh, a story that allowed me to do a crossover with uh, the nick kismet and also characters i brought them in for a little bit of crossover and uh just for short stories uh, about uh, 10 to twenty thousand words is i think ten thousand is the their target they want you to, to reach and i think mine went a little bit longer so I'm doing that. Uh, I'm working on the third one for that right at the moment. Uh, and then I'll get into the third Mirror Raiden book. Uh, I've also got a couple of projects that uh, I, uh, I'm writing a, a um, nonfiction survival article for um, Sharon Ahern, who is uh, her, her husband, her late husband, uh, Jerry Ahern, wrote a lot of the men's adventure fiction books in the 80s uh, he wrote one series called the survivalist and uh i teamed up with sharon and uh to to write a young adult series kind of based on some characters introduced in the survivalist and that was uh released last year camp zero but it's about kids learning survival skills and so that necessitated me doing a lot of learning about survival skills which is a topic i've always enjoyed uh you know i, I eat up bear grills and survivor man and all that stuff so it was a chance for me to to kind of bring that into the story and she asked me to participate in uh, a nonfiction uh anthology uh about survival skills that's going to be published very soon i don't have the title handy but uh it's going to be hit coming out very soon and uh she wants another one uh for the next edition so i'll be working on that as well and Oh boy, lots of other things. I want to get back to uh, writing the Nick Kismet stories, but I've also promised uh, David that we're going to try to hit at least one book uh, a year from the Jada Hara and the Myrmidon series. So those are on the, the calendar. Uh, yeah, I need more months. <laughs> no, that's all. Do you, without, with such a busy schedule, do you still find time to read? Audiobooks. 
Yeah, I, I don't find I, I really don't get to read the the dead tree copies or the Kindles like I I would like to. And I put audiobooks on while I'm when I'm doing everything else, you know, whether it's cooking dinner or driving in the car. And are they still like thrillers and adventure stories? Pretty much. Um definitely the the best sellers. Uh, uh, you know, the Clive Custler new releases, the James Rollins. I just I'm right now I'm listening to uh Douglas Preston's uh nonfiction, uh Lost City of the Monkey God. And uh so yeah, I've got a couple of uh physical books that I've been working on, but it just seems like it can never get time to sit down and, and just read like I used to. For the listeners who want to find out more about your books and everything, that the, your website is seanellisauthor.com, right? Yes, that's and correct. Twitter and Facebook and all those all the usual haunts that, that, that we're forced to be yes. in. <laughs> that's right. Um, I, I, uh, I think I've got things set up so that my stuff all posts, you know, uh, I post it on Facebook and it, it, bounces to twitter definitely facebook's where if you want to interact with me i'm i'm there uh love talking to people about writing so you definitely can find me there and uh and for those uh, aspiring authors out there write every day and remember that the next book sells the last book so you know don't think you're done once you've finished writing keep keep writing yep that's good advice all right uh, sean thank you very much for being on the uh, podcast really appreciate it Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. I'd like to ask you to please review and rate this uh, podcast over on iTunes. It really helps me get the word out. If you take a few seconds of your time to uh, do that, it would be much appreciated. You can also visit my website at thrillingreads.com forward slash podcast for show notes on this episode, as well as information about the uh, podcast in general. And you can also sign up for my mailing list there. You'll be getting uh, special offers from our guests, as well as information, uh, behind the scenes information on the podcast. And uh, please do visit my author website at alanpeterson.com. I appreciate your support. And so until next episode, I will talk to you then.